and welcome to 10,000 Posts, the show about how everything is posting. My name is Phoebe. You will not hear a second host voice today because uh, Hussein is on his holes in Japan. Uh, he's been threatened with divorce twice, both to do with uh, cartoons and robots. But he will be back with us next week when he will be dialing in from Japan and we'll be doing some fun Japan-themed episodes. But it is just me today. And I'm really, really excited to welcome uh, returning champion, fan favorite, friend of the show, uh, Patrick Wyman, uh, writer, podcaster, academic, uh, MMA and ancient history expert. And uh, yeah, and today we are going to be talking about another Roman poster for uh, for posters from history, from our miniseries. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the poet Catullus. Pat, how's it going? Oh, it is going fantastic. I am so stoked to talk about Catullus. Because I like Catullus was one of the poets that we used to learn Latin when I was in college. We like we used a lot of Catullus in my in like intro to intro to Latin classes. Um, and the the grad students who taught those courses always got such like a little thrill out of how disgustingly dirty <laughs> Catullus was. They're like, no, this is this isn't your grandfather's Latin. This is Catullus. <laughs> like he's he was a bad boy. Uh, so it was uh, it brought back a lot of really wonderful memories reading back through this stuff to to prepare to talk about it with you. Fantastic. I was um uh, I'd really like to see one of those, you know, those Victorian editions oh, where yeah. anything that's too rude they just left in Latin and didn't translate. <laughs> and then it's just there are these whole poems where there's just just whole stanzas that they're just like, Nope, I am not translating that. I will not be doing that at all. Um I did Catullus at school. Oh my and god. That was and so that and so that so that so that was pretty fun. Um I remember my um, a particularly amusing class um, when we were um, when we were studying the poem about uh, about Lesbia, who was his um, who was his beloved, um, about her sparrow. And our Latin teacher said, "So the sparrow is almost certainly a reference to uh, it's almost a re certainly a reference to, to to some kind of sex toy." And obviously, like that's that's pretty funny. I think that's I think that's pretty funny. And mm -hmm. me and one of my friends thought that was pretty funny. Our teacher thought it was funny, but everyone else in my class was just like this kind of huge homework shagger and they were all just going, mm -hmm, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Is that gonna come up in the exam? And I'm like, that's funny. Come on, guys, come on, come on, give us, give us, give us something, give us something. I, I'd love to I'd love to go back through and read like the handwritten notes taken by your classmates. Well, just like sparrow equals sex toy. Got it. Remember for exam, like, oh, row, God, of, oh. row of question marks. We're not, not sure how or in what manner of sex toy is meant to be and like and then more and then like kind of more in brackets did the romans use wooden dildos brackets yeah. question What's, marks yeah ceramic <laughs> ceramics question, marks. question mark uh marble question mark like <laughs> ask <laughs> ask miss for next time <laughs> because we, we need to we need to know we need to know this we need to know this piece of information uh yeah we did catullus 64 for gcse i think 
I was going to say, there's probably a joke in there about the, the prevalence of buggery in Catullus's poetry and the and the desire to teach it um, to uh, <laughs> to secondary school students in the UK. I just, I'm just just throwing that out there. There's probably just, a joke for somebody who's looking for one. There, I mean, there, 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 there probably is. Like, I suggest you fill that joke in for yourselves at home. That's something which um, something which we encourage you encourage you to do. Um yeah, so just a little, just a little bit of background on um, on Catullus. His full name was Agaius Valerius Catullus. He was from he was from an, uh, an equestrian family. So that is, if you insist on applying contemporary analogies to the Roman class system, I don't think this is very wise. But if if you got it, you got it. This is kind of upper middle class. It, this is the uh, this is the class below. Um, below the senatorial class they're sometimes called sometimes called knights um and and the equestrian class or the equites refers to the number of uh, the number of kind of ho- like horsemen they could they were able to muster i mean that's that's the original that's the original reference um he was not from the city of rome he was from um he's from verona in um elsewhere in italy um we know very little about him uh biography wise more or less everything we know about him is either gleaned through his poems uh, so we know who his friends were because he wrote lots of poems for his friends we know a little bit about his brother because he wrote um he wrote a poem about um about burying his brother which is um very moving um and there was a proper biography of Catullus that was written by Suetonius, but it doesn't survive. It only survives in fragments and in scraps in slightly peculiar places. So there are a number of references in St. Jerome many centuries later. Um, there are, there's, I think, one or two in um, Eusebius, who was, a, who was an early church father and historian. Um, St. Jerome almost certainly gets his date of death wrong. Um, because St. Jerome has him dying at the age of 30 in in 57 BC. Um, and this can't be right because he uh, makes repeated references to Pompey's second consulship, which is in 55. So it's hi- it's it's highly likely that St. Jerome got got fucked up when trying to read um, when trying to read the Fasti, which was the ancient calendar, because it's 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 not it's not easy to to read if you're not if you're not kind of familiar with that way of structuring the year. Um, but he died he died he died around he died th- around the age of thirty. After a life well lived. After a life well lived, like yeah, he did he did some writing, he did some politicking, he did some shagging, he did some stuff. Did a Catullus, lot of sh- a, a lot <laughs> of shagging did some stuff and a lot of posting. Oh, he did a, a lot of posting and like it, it's it's so funny how um, what a different view of Rome and Ro- upper like kind of upper crust Roman society you get from Catullus than you do from Cicero, like mm-hmm. just almost polar opposite sets of concerns, values, uh, I'm kind of the way that you're spending your time. Like Catullus's world is much different than Cicero's, but you can kind of see like the bizarro overlap between the two of them. Yeah. And it's it's just it oh god, it's so funny. Well, before we start recording, I described Catullus as Cicero's Wario. Uh this is something that I'm more than prepared to stand by, uh, but I will not be elaborating on <laughs> any further. Um but I will but I will be I will be standing by it. Um okay, the first thing the first thing I want to talk about is 
uh, obviously, obviously we have to talk about this in terms of uh, in terms of the, the the themes of the show. Uh, Catullus as a poster. Let's talk about that. Was he a poster? Is that a reason? Is that a reasonable? Is that a reasonable description? It's absolutely a reasonable description because, as we know, not all posters are the same, right? Some posters are are firing stuff out there for for mass public consumption, but other posters are are shit posters, and they are posters who direct their shit at other posters, and that is very much Catullus's uh, kind of niche within the uh, within the Roman posting uh, fraternity is. He he talked shit. He talked a lot of shit. He talked shit about his um, lovers and ex-lovers. He talked shit about his romantic rivals. He talked shit about people he just plain didn't like. Um, and he used to do that. I mean, what Catullus is mostly notable for, aside from making a lot of like kind of matronly um, classics grad students uh, blush when they're teaching this to undergrads, <laughs> is uh, he was just the filthiest motherfucker Whose whose work I have ever read. I, I mean, it is it is shocking. Even to somebody who's been like basted their brain in Reddit and 4chan and Twitter for years, Catullus writes lines that make you stop and go, God damn. Like damn, like what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> yeah, like a real just a fucked up imagination. Like this guy uh, this guy had an imagination for filth that surpasses just about anybody else that I have ever read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 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 this is, this is, this is absolutely true. And without, and, and, and without Catullus, I suspect that there, that there wouldn't be, um, there wouldn't be a, a Marquis de Sade um, and mm-hmm. other, and other similar, and other similar kind of later authors who, 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 who took that, who took their inspiration from, um, from Catullus, particularly, particularly some of his more, um, his more esoteric interests and preoccupation. <laughs> Shall we say? Um, that, that is the most English thing I have ever heard you say in in many hours of recording with you. I have never heard you say anything so euphemistically English as that. He's a butt guy. Catullus is a butt guy. Catullus loves an ass. That it, he is, yeah, it, he if, is. If yeah. he were post, if he were posting on a subreddit, his username would be like assmaster69 or something like that. The man, 100%. the man, the man loved to tush, uh, loved yep. to talk about him. Presumably, loved to look at him. Um, loved mm-hmm. to do other things too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a he's got he's got he's got a real he's got a real fixation. He yeah, does. he probably had one of those weird chairs as well. Yeah, I mean, who among us? But uh, okay. the, he's, uh, the uh, I'm, it, I want to come back to what you just talked about with um, uh, with Catullus's influence down the centuries on people like the Marquis de Sade, because you're 100 percent right. Like the the rediscovery of Catullus was was a big deal for uh, kind of Renaissance and Enlightenment libertines um, and and Romantic libertines too. Like in the in the 19th century, that there's always been this very strong kind of countercultural vibe associated with the enjoyment and love of, of Catullus that, mm. that runs to your point about him being Wario to, to, to Cicero's Mario that runs very much in parallel with Cicero. So the rediscovery of Cicero runs along this one track and, you know, people love him for his civic mindedness and his beautiful Latin prose. Well, Catullus is the, the verse equivalent in terms of the influence on language 
I think, of of Cicero in terms of how influential yeah. he was and how many people after that were, were imitating his style. Um, but subject matter wise, the complete inverse for all of Cicero's preoccupations with, you know, the health of society and morality and all that, all that good shit. Catullus is doing the exact opposite thing. He's incredibly individualistic. He's he's concerned with his own position in society. He's concerned with personal relationships, not kind of broader social ones or the health of the Republic. Catullus does not give a shit as far as we can tell on the basis <laughs> no, of, his, not. of his surviving work about the health of the body politic. That is not something that is uh, that is on Cicero or that is on Catullus's concerns list. So he really is bizarro Cicero in in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, and, and up and up until up until this point, uh, Roman poetry is very, very specifically concerned with the business of being Roman. It is about politics and it's about war. And he is not interested in either one. He's also he's also not interested in this is I think part of part of my reasoning for him being Cicero's Wario. He is not interested as Cicero was. Uh, Cicero was interested in a very, very um primal and again kind of fixated way he was as fixated on this concept as catullus was fixated on on bums um which is it's hard it's hard to be as fixated as catullus was on bums um cicero was was fixated on this on this concept or this moral this moral philosophical concept known as virtus um, which has been mistranslated in a number of different ways one one of which as virtue and one of which as being not, it's not, which is not right. And another of which is uh, is a more kind of philological understanding of it. And that can, that gets gets translated as manliness or, or masculinity because it's assumed that it's a kind of that it's derived from the word um, the word weir, which means which means man in in Latin. But this is because there has been this misapprehension when looking at Roman moral philosophy that uh, that Roman moral philosophy was very, very similar to Hellenistic moral philosophy and uh, the and the kind of and the names of the concepts were very etymological, which they weren't necessarily. And the what the concept of Voices was, it's quite difficult to it's quite difficult to kind of fully translate, but it was it was what it was what made you it was what made you roman it was the quality that made you roman and it was the quality that you could use to generate gloria both for yourself and for the roman state and it was the energizing force which uh which knitted together the body politic and it was also in part generated in turn by uh your libertas which again was not your freedom it was your freedom to follow the laws and the laws were uh were certainly according to cicero were natural laws they were um they existed in and of themselves they had their own interior logic to them so that was your so your liberty was to follow them your liberty was to participate in a civic way and through that you generated your virtus and your virtus was what kept you um was what kept you as part of 
the body politic. Is that a reasonable explanation, would you say? I, I think that's 100% right, because because Virtus is both individual and collective in the the in the sense that you can you can have individual virtus you can you can by virtue of your deeds and your comportment you can you can have virtus you can embody it um, but it's also a collective thing that you share that you share with your peers um, it's masculine in the sense that the ideal roman is is male right like it's not that it's not so much that it's a quality of of masculinity itself as it is it's that to be a true roman means you got to be a dude to yeah. to in these guy in these guys particular conception of it and where this comes back to catullus and i'm i'm sure this is where i'm sure this is where you're heading with it is his whole deal is just absolutely making a mockery of the concept of virtus yeah. and that he has he has no interest in the concept as cicero um, lays it out or in following the concept, Virtus to him exists as a thing to be kind of mocked, subverted and challenged. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And if you ask, if you were to ask Cicero what the function of poetry was, he would be, he would insist that it is supposed to be about Virtus. That's what he would insist. Catullus and Catullus's pals, Catullus's gang that he, that he hung around with, not remotely interested in this concept. Uh, the only reason we even know about Catullus's provincial governorship was that it gets mentioned in one of in one of his poems. This is not something that he was that he, that he was in, that he was interested in. It's what he did because he was a, because as a member of his class, that was just what you did. It would be it would be no more. And yeah, that and the only reason that it comes up is because he's making a joke about the fact that he didn't get rich from it, unlike his peers. Yeah. So the and the like the, the joke basically is Catullus is talking about this this post that he held, um, and it's like, well, you know, did you at least get rich from it? Like, no, I didn't even get rich from it. I can't even use the money to attract the girls. Like that's his whole <laughs> yeah. like that's the only reason that we know that he was even a participant in the in kind of the the the, the career structure of his class is because he's making fun of it. And and yeah. that's that's one of the things because I'm I'm so glad you brought up Virtus because he's you can tell from the way that he talks about it and the jokes that he makes that he's completely familiar with it. He understands what the expectation is. Yeah. And the whole the whole kind of conceit of his poetry is in is in mocking this and saying, you know, I'm I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do some other things here, mostly involving butts. Like that's yeah. that's really where where that's where his yeah. focus lay. Um, yeah. He was dedicated to his craft, um, as it were, and uh, and that was what he wanted to do. Yeah, and th and this was and honestly, his craft is one of his is one of his most consistent subjects. He was mm -hmm. he liked writing poems about poetry. He liked writing about love. He wrote poems for his pals. Um, he wrote invective. He wrote a lot of invective. He was a uh, he was easily rattled, um, but he was not. It wasn't that he wasn't interested in the um, in the poetic tradition because he was. He was very inspired by well, among other things, by Hel Hellenistic poetry by um, Callimachus and other poets like him. But he wasn't interested in this conception of importance of hierarchy of importance that Cicero and people like Cicero, they're like kind of Cicero and Cato and like that kind of, that kind of gang. They were a very, very different 
segment of the playground if if it had been like the opening of a kind of 90s teen film and that where you go around the canteen and there are the different groups <laughs> like Catullus and his friends are definitely they're like they're over there and then Cicero and Cato etc they are like they are like over there like with their pocket calculators oh my god please um, tell me you've seen te- have you seen 10 things i hate about you yeah, of course. Okay, okay. So, uh, Catullus is Catullus and his friends are like Heath Ledger and and that kind of group of people. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Cicero is the business guy, uh, yes. who's who's hosting who's hosting the wine and cheese party. Like, yeah, that's, the one that, the one who looks exactly like Michael yeah. Gove. Yeah, the one who's talking <laughs> the the one who's talking about uh, uh, who's trying to hit on girls by talking about buying a Toyota Tercel. Um, yeah. Four doors, four doors, baby. Um, Bogey Lowenstein. That's bo- <laughs> oh my god. Okay, now I really want to watch Ten Things I Hate About You. This yeah, is uh, me too. It's oh my so, god, it's so good. It's I know what I'm a, doing tonight. <laughs> such such a banger. If uh, for our younger listeners, if you've never seen or heard of Ten Things I Hate About You, I would I would suggest rectifying that quickish because it's, it's wonderful. It, it's one of the best Shakespeare adaptations ever made. Correct. It's it's really outstanding. Um, I think it, I think it is the best Shakespeare adaptation. To be honest with you, I, I'd go I'd go so far. It's either I'd that or so it, far. It's either that or Sons of Anarchy. Take your pick. <laughs> 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 um, oh, okay, so the I, I, just to use a bit of a comparison yeah. to to some modern posting here. Like mm-hmm. if you think about like like drill, right? So the 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 kind of poet emeritus of of Twitter um, mm-hmm. and and online shit posting. What makes drill funny is that he knows he he understands absurdity, right? Yeah. Like he the the absurdity of the everyday. So he understands that like the kind of shit that people post about on a day to day basis. If you just push that to the extreme, that's what makes it funny. But it relies on you having a knowledge of the kind of stuff that people post about and the kind of you know, um, quotidian unhinged uh, nature of, of posting drills, drill playing off that is what is one of the things that makes drill so funny. Catullus yeah. is doing that with Roman virtue and the the concept of what a Roman is supposed to do and drills, misspellings and mistakes and like grammatical errors and things like that that creep into the post. The whole idea the reason why that's funny and why that enhances the comedy is because he is so aware, you know, he knows what the correct way to do it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's intentional. It's part, it's an intentional part of the effect. And that's Catullus with the poetic traditions that he's working with is yeah. like, he knows the rules of how to do all this stuff. He is, I mean, he is a fish swimming in water in terms of knowing how to put various genres and types and meters of poetry together. Like he is an absolute fucking artist when it comes to that. And the way that he plays with it and mixes it around and turns it to these entirely different um, purposes and subjects is is that's part of what makes him brilliant and fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, just really quickly, in fact, before we move on to some of the kind of specifics of what Catullus was up to, um, I, th- I do think it is. I do think it is so so fascinating to have this have this uh, body of work, this corpus of work, which is so sublimely uninterested in the upheaval and decay around him he is he's a he's a he's a spoiled 
teenager functionally he doesn't he is not he's not interested in the multiple constitutional and military crises that have kind of dogged the previous century that is lived that he's lived that he's that his family has been living through um he's not interested in what's sort of going on at the time like there's a kind of there's a sort of like kind of passing glancing um mention of a pompey second consulship but he's not talking about this in terms of kind of worried whisperings about what this means for the republic and who will preserve the republic and what even is the republic what does it mean all he cares about is girls and drinking which fair enough he's just like me for real um and he is not he's not interested in the future he's not particularly interested in the roman past either he draws quite frequently from uh from greek mythology and arguably latterly roman mythology i would suggest that there isn't really such a thing as a as roman mythology other than the earliest history of rome that is the roman mythology the 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 system of the system of kind of self-conception is the Roman mythology. The kind of the the god the gods, goddesses, and heroes. That's Greek, and sometimes and then Roman poets and dramatists uh, use this material and kind of a bit translated it into Latin, but but not really. The Roman mythology is is Romulus and Remus and uh, and King Numa and even things like the secession of the plebs, which have uh which which are which are kind of his historically questionable um and that's not and that is not in catullus's interest he's not interested in using the um in using the past to um to either legitimate the present or to make plans for the future he is um he's a, he's a he's a libertine and he's um he doesn't really talk about philosophy very much but Philosophically, I imagine he leans towards Epicureanism. He's interested in enjoyment and the present, and it's such and it's such a valuable change in perspective from what we have come to expect from writers of this period. And it's so important to have this kind of utterly contradictory perspective, I think, even if it's in poetry rather than in prose. I'm a hundred percent on board with you, and that's that's something I really wanted to talk about today. Is because Catullus is a good reminder that societies contain multitudes, mm. right? That and and even within the Roman elite, because Catullus is a member of the elite, and you can see the extent to which he has absorbed and represents the mores of that class. Like he's he is an utterly he's utterly typical in terms of the way that he views sex, women, power. Um, social hierarchies and relations you know he makes fun of people for not having enough money in slaves like he's like he's very clearly a member of this class in terms of his outlook and views but his interests and what he spends his time on are entirely different than someone like cicero and you can tell that if he so okay so to your point about the roman past and kind of how people in that time knew about the roman past and you know what they made of it m much of the knowledge of the Roman of the Roman past that was floating around was the stories that aristocratic families told to make themselves and their lineages look good. Mm -hmm. And you can absolutely picture Catullus hearing some hearing one of the pocket calculator guys telling a story about the glories of his ancestors consulship and Catullus just being like, yeah, but it looks like there's dried semen on your lips. 
And that's, which is uh, something he says in, in one of his invective poems about a guy that he doesn't like. Yeah. Like, you can just, you can imagine him absolutely mocking that because he doesn't give a shit. He thinks it's absurd and ridiculous. Mm. And like, you, he doesn't even have to tell you specifically that he thinks it's ridiculous for you to have read his stuff and be like, yeah, no, if he was, it, it, you know, if... Somebody were if one of his peers were getting up and talking about how much, uh, you know, what what incredible services his ancestor had done the Republic during the first Punic War um, that Catullus would have been sitting there making like the jerking off gesture <laughs> with his hand. Like, yeah, because no, he no, thinks no, it's no, ridiculous. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And it is interesting in terms of in terms of how um, Romans from various kind of class backgrounds thought of themselves because it's because it's not it's not so dissimilar in kind of outlook uh from somebody like uh like Publius Clodius Pulcher who was obviously obviously a contemporary who was a member of the Claudii who were one of the kind of the oldest and kind of most storied and distinguished uh Roman families and he used uh he used the plebeian spelling of um, of Claudius and that's why he was known as Claudius um, and he got himself adopted into a plebeian family and also his kind of political career was um, was centered around being uh, being a tribune of of the plebs as well um, so he was also sort of quite inter- he was interested in uh, kind of rejecting the strictures and expectations of his of his background and also I think like Claudius also another poster if you ask me Oh yeah. If you ask me, another another poster. Um, but speaking of speaking of which, and speaking of uh, Catullus as poster, uh, could you tell us a bit about um, about the kind of the technologies with which uh, people people were familiar with his poems? Like how like what were the mechanisms by which people could read could read Catullus? So a lot of it is that he's writing these things and he's just sending them out to his friends. He's sending them out as little notes or like if there's an invitation to a party, he's writing a little piece of verse and including it in the and including it in the invitation that he's sending out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's maybe maybe he's composing and performing them at little little drinking parties, little little gatherings of people. But you can imagine probably fairly informal ones that just include people of his class. But they get but then these things get written down and they get circulated. Um they're, they circulate orally, so people memorize the bits of verse and repeat them. Um, and sometimes, I, I, I'm sure, I, I'm sure that in, in at least a couple of cases, his poetry was was kind of splashed up on a wall as graffiti. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that that's a thing that happened. If you go to Pompeii, Pompeii's walls are covered in graffiti. There are lines from epic poetry that get scrawled as graffiti in Pompeii. I think it's probably safe to say that if somebody really liked one of Catullus's invective verses, they might have daubed it up on a wall somewhere mm-hmm. uh, for passersby to appreciate. Um, so the, the media bit, one of the things that makes Catullus really interesting as a poet, and this speaks to both where he sits in Roman society and his interests and kind of the nature of Roman society, but also his craft, um, is that there's this whole other world of Roman poetry and song that we don't have access to because it wasn't really written down because it was oral, right? So every once in a while we get these tiny little glimpses of it. Um, and you can see the kind of underbelly of Roman literate and poetic culture. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I pulled this up because there's an example is that Roman soldiers sang marching songs. Um, and these were often quite dirty uh, and uh, and satirical. This is one of the this is what Suetonius says um, that Julius Caesar's army 
was singing as they were marching back from his uh, as they were marching back from Gaul. So he said, Urbani servate uxores, moecum calvum aducimus, aurum in Gallia efutuisti, hic sumsisti mutuum. That means now returns our bald whoremonger, that's Caesar, <laughs> Romans, lock your wives away. All the bags of gold you sent him went to his Gallic tarts to pay. Um, so this is uh, this is Caesar soldiers talking about how their commander loves to fuck, mm-hmm. um, loves loves to do some light adultery, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and is happy to pay for the privilege of doing so. Oh, and also he's bald, something that we would probably never have learned from another source, mm-hmm. uh, because Caesar is always depicted as having hair, right? Uh, so we the it's this little glimpse into an entirely different world of joking. Um, and the, the interesting thing about this is it has a metrical structure to it, right? So there is, so this is the, the, what I just read, it has a metrical structure, but it's not one that's derived from the classical, what we think was the kind of the classical poetic tradition. It has to do with the natural stress of the language. Uh, now, what's really fun is that this appears to be the kind of basic indigenous Latin poetic style. So this is what, you know, Latin shepherds, uh, Latin speaking shepherds in the hills outside Rome are doing when they're composing little songs and jokes and and, and shit um, gathered around a campfire back in the day. This is kind of the original Latin poetic structure that survives into things like this marching song. What's hilarious is that Catullus knows this. He is perfectly familiar with this way of emphasizing and doing stress in poetry, and he plays with it in his invective. So my, the, the one of the most famous and my personal favorite bits of Catullus's poetry is Catullus 16. Um, and this is where he's talking to his rivals and he says, um, I will I will fuck you in the ass and throat fuck you. Um, these are the they are this is just the filthiest words that you can ever imagine and very specific in their meaning and usage, mm-hmm. right? Like he chose the specific terms that he wants. So if you look at this, this perfectly follows the rules of classical verse. It, it fits the meter. It is, But if you apply the kind of indigenous, low-class Roman way of doing poetry to it, the stress falls perfectly on the dirtiest words in the poem, it mm. falls on the I'm going to it falls on the, the invective words. Right. So he's playing with the kind of natural low class way of doing poetry at the same time as he's combining it with the actual proper classical meter that he knows because he knows how to do poetry um, and then using it to say the most disgusting, insulting things he can possibly imagine. Mm. It's it, it's perfect. I love it. What's interesting about the the marching songs is that is they're like kind of they're like terrace chants, they're mm-hmm. like the they're like what you sing about your about your about your sports team, and what's interesting about uh, Catullus making use of them is again it's a kind of it's a sort of it's a sort of playing around with um, with class signifiers. This is presumably at least part part of what he would have grown up hearing because he didn't grow up in Rome. He grew up in it. He grew up in elsewhere in Italy. Um, but also it's not, it's not so dissimilar from, from Claudius, um, adopting the name Claudius and kind of, and sort of like kind of playing and kind of playing around with the signifiers. And I think you can sort of make your mind up about whether or not, um, this was really, this was really his to do, um, or whether, um, or whether it was a bit, I don't know, a bit off, a bit the, a bit the accent that Damon Orban used to sing in a little bit that. A little bit 
are you sure are you sure about are you sure about well, singing I, in that in that voice which is not yours well it's a, it's an interesting insight into what counts as transgressive Right. Mm. Because I think he's doing it precisely because it's a little bit transgressive. And yeah. because if Catullus's if if one of Catullus's, um, again, uh, like pocket calculator contemporaries heard the poetry, they would be like it, it's an additional layer of the joke is it's not just that he's saying these absolutely disgusting things that are going to make their ears burn. It's also that he's doing it in a way that reminds them of how the the lowest class plebs are doing jokes. Yeah. Right. So there's it's it's multiple layers to that, that that it's it's brilliant in a way that I, I mean, I can't even I can't even put into words. It's it's why Catullus is my favorite. But I want to come back to what you were what you were mentioning earlier with the the divide between like the Cicero's Rome and the the the, the Rome of uh, like the collapsing Republic and all of the stuff that we're told is what people are concerned about mm. in the 50s B.C. Um and the world that Catullus inhabits where he doesn't care. And it shows you the weakness of doing a contextual analysis of of some sort of literary work. Right. That like it's entirely possible that the person who was writing this did not know and did not care about any of it. Like it's not like they had perfect information about everything that was going on. Did 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 Catullus know that Caesar was doing some genocide in Gaul? I mean, he was probably peripherally aware, but like, did it matter to him? No, eh, no, probably except- not. Probably not very much. There's a, there's a, there's a one, there's a wonderful, pretty much the only reference to Caesar in the whole of Catullus is he says that he uh, made a joke about him and that he was, and he was kind of hearing that uh, Caesar was mad with him and was and was coming to and was coming to have a word about um about the little joke that he made about Caesar and then what ended up happening was Caesar just came round to dinner the next <laughs> the next day which i think is i think is meat for my pet theory about Caesar's um probably quite odd but definitely definitely there and richly evidenced sense of humor which is such a kind of underexplored aspect of caesar's character because that because you have your you have your standard kind of um sort of fascist historian who's like well caesar's you know caesar uh caesar is the person that we can look to for from the from the past that that we can use to uh to build our glorious fascist future and then there are people who say yeah well caesar was committing genocide and there are people who say well caesar seems like a bit of a seems like a bit of a jerk in his you know in his personal life there are people who say well have you ever tried to read the gallic wars it's impossible it's so 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 boring oh my god um but i think that his his very very obvious way of uh of of like of rattling people like cicero by by joking around i think the i think the whole display with turning down the crown i think it was supposed to be a joke i genuinely this is like this is like one of my kind of historical conspiracy theories i think he was i think he was messing about i think when he started wearing the knee-high lace-up red boots like the kings like like the roman kings used to like the etruscan kings used to um I think that he was. I think he was doing it to fuck with people. I think he thought that this this was a funny thing to do. I don't think there's any other really convincing explanation for any of it. And then you have something like he finds out that this little kind of this little shit poet is like not shit poet, like little shit of a poet. Um, 
has been kind of has been kind of you know uh right kind of writing rude epigrams about him and he is and and he you know he's 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 annoyed but but then he sort of but then he kind of relents because he thinks it's funny as well and i think that there aren't that many other of the kind of the well-known figures in this period who you could say that about i mean i don't think i don't think that cicero or or queso or even or even either of the either of the brutuses um definitely not augustus i do not think any of them would find this even remotely remotely amusing marius wouldn't have done sulla wouldn't have done pompey wouldn't have done sulla might have sulla but mi- he would have, but he have. still might have had have but he might have had him executed anyway killed. like he, he yeah, he'd, have, but- he'd have said you know what fair play that is pretty funny you have done me there but i'm also gonna lock you in a building and then set fire to it so way up yeah. way <laughs> up way up whether or not it was worth your little your little poem your little poem there um yeah no, no, I, continue with what you're, you're saying you're, you are a hundred percent right that's and i i am firmly firmly on your on your side with that i think that's absolutely the correct interpretation and it goes to show you the weakness of trying to understand history from a historical tradition that's built in large part on the works of people who were utterly humorless mm-hmm. and that like if you sat down in the ancient world to write a, a big history you probably were not like a super fun guy that was not your that was maybe not what you were doing with your time you weren't overly social you weren't you know out joking around with the boys like you know you were that's probably not what you were up to and so these elements of play that go into things it's like is it easier to assume that caesar was mentally ill or was going had a brain tumor and that's why he wore the red boots and turned down the crowd or that he was joking yeah he was joking he was joking he was messing like, about he was like oh so like all of these people are going around saying oh he wants to be he wants to be the king so won't it be quite funny if i dress up like a king won't that be like quite a funny yeah. thing to do and like all of his advisors going like are you caesar are you, are you sure about this, the people are not going to take this very well. I'm like, no, 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 no. Sorry, this is going to be this is going to be so it's fucking hilarious. good. It's going to be so it's fucking hilarious. good. And they'll have had to have like because they were like they were because they were used that they used the kind of the die um, that they would have used for like that kind of the border of a toga. This is like this is difficult, expensive die to get hold of. He probably would have had to have had these boots like specially handmade and like the like this is such an elaborate bit that he was so so committed to that presumably by the time they they like showed up um he was he was really kind of really really jazzed up about putting on his king boots so even i i mean because i think this is i I think you're 100 percent right because you think about like the the famous caesar line like alia yakta est right like oh the die is cast like we we think of that as being such a weighted um statement that like is such an epic kind of thing to say as you're crossing the no he was making a joke about gambling yeah he was he was making a joke about a his reputation for gambling yeah right like because he was known to be somebody who risked a lot of money on gambling he loved dice games he loved he loved to do that kind of stuff so he's making a joke about himself and about the stakes yeah. of the moment yeah right it's like, so it's so weird to me that the extent to which dear actor dear actor s is misunderstood as a phrase because so many people seem to have formed the impression 
both at the time as well this wasn't it wasn't this is not just like now this is not just a kind of historical reception problem like people at the time thought he meant this um this idea that it meant well the wheels have been set in motion we are now only on one set path it's set in stone now and there's nothing and there's nothing we can do this is you know this is now this is now this is now what this is now what's going to happen but that's not what that means at all the the dice have been thrown means i've made the gamble actually i don't know the outcome it is the absolute opposite of what people have always understood it to mean because it means it because once the dice have been thrown it doesn't mean the dice have been thrown and i have inspected the dice and i have done what the dice have said it just means they've been thrown he hasn't even looked at them they're they're rolling around in the cup he's like that's he has no i've made yeah. i've made the gap i've made the gamble i'm t- <laughs> honestly i'm taking a risk i'm taking a risk here <laughs> <laughs> and but th- and but that's the whole uh, that's one of the things that's so maddening and hilarious a- about the historical record right is that this comes down to us mm. as being such a weighted and uh, weighted phrase portentous um, be- and serious and yeah yeah portentous that's that's the word oh yeah. god perfect and but it but like that's because the people who are writing about it were humorless. His yeah. contemporaries were humorless. Mm-hmm. Octavian slash Augustus, maybe the most humorless guy in the history of mankind. Absolutely. Like, gotta be. Really? Gotta be. You can't, I mean, okay, you can't so, get, you can't be the greatest politician of all time and also be, and also be a joker. I think, I think the two things yeah. are presumed, uh, like they are, they're antagonistic and mutually exclusive, but like, but he was so humorless. Oh, so humorous. He did not like he did not like any joking around at all. No, none. No. Not even not even some light adultery jokes, no. which we know from Catullus were everywhere. Everybody yeah. loved a good adultery joke among the Roman upper crust here. Yeah. Like that's uh yeah, the that's one of the really um uh, shocking things reading Catullus is just how much everybody was fucking and mm-hmm. wanted to fuck and uh was was just kinda kinda out there liaising. Um, in various combinations and ways, sometimes several at a time, apparently, as Catullus would have it. Yep. Uh, it's it, it's wow. There's a lot a lot of sex going on. Well, in fact, I think that's, this is a, a, as good a segue as any to talk a little bit about about his beloved, about Lesbia. About Lesbia. Yeah. Um, so most of his love poems were about this one about this one woman. Uh, we still don't know exactly who she was. The the most the most famous theory is that she was Clodia, who was uh, Clodius, who we talked about earlier, Publius Clodius Pulcher's sister, um, who was she was married to a kind of another kind of prominent Roman um, Roman guy whose name I have forgotten. I think he's like a, he's a Licinius, I think. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Clodius' husband was called. She was not married to Catullus. She was married to someone else. And his poems, his poems for her are, um, well, I mean, sort of talking about his kind of like his sort of later sort of later kind of influences that he would have had. Um, the romantic poets, particularly Keats, uh, feel very, very strongly influenced by um by Catullus, particularly when he is talking about lesbia, because he doesn't he doesn't 
especially write that sexually about her, unless you count the sparrow sex toy. Um, but even that is quite that's quite that's quite euphemistic and it's quite delicate, especially considering uh, considering the tone and content of like a lot of a lot of his other poems, and particularly his invective, and even like the poems that he writes for his like friends as like dinner party poems. Like there's there's quite a lot of kind of like like come on man like is that is that is that was that really necessary but his his poems about about lesbia are very very tender and a very full of yearning um and uh there's there's one particular there's one particularly wonderful one which is um which is uh a kind of a kind of contemporary rewrite of uh, of a Sappho poem about hopeless, unrequited love. He admired Sappho very much. He almost certainly would have had access to a much greater corpus of Sappho's poems than we have. Um, another fun, fun piece of kind of Victorian translation is um, Sappho was sort of rediscovered in the in the Victorian period, and because nobody wanted to accept that. Sappho was just was just a huge huge lesbian and just wanted to write poems about all the different girls that she was in love with um they had to kind of come up with this uh this framing and this idea of like how to kind of how to read Sappho without it without it being too kind of obscene and too kind of at odds with uh, of the kind of the cultural and moral values of the time and what they came up with was Sappho was a kind of governess figure and when she talks about loving girls what she means is she teaches girls uh you know kind of she teaches girls embroidery and poetry and singing and dancing and the love for them is the love that a teacher has for her students right yeah no let's go with let's go with that and if there's anything which we can't fit into that very very shaky and unconvincing frame then just don't translate it or 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 even better translate it from greek into latin there we go (laughs) that'll 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 do that will deal with that little that little that little issue there um and it is and it is interesting because catullus um uh, there is a sort of collection of Catullus poems, which is almost certainly not a collection that he organized. Um, if it so happens that he wrote poetry in a book or, um, or, 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 or you know, a, a, a kind of one long kind of continuous scroll with all of his poems on it, it, it is possible, but it's, it's vanishingly unlikely if, um, if, if someone when they were, I don't know, doing some kind of papyrus digging in, in, in Egypt were to find one gigantic scroll with all of um, Catullus's like, Carmina on, um, this would be such an interesting and novel discovery about how, um, about how Romans of, of, of his period would have conceived of a poetry collection because as far as we know there was no such thing as a poetry collection or a book of poems 
Yeah, you might you might circulate a you might circulate like a small collection. So like the very first it, the 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 poem that's conventionally labeled like Catullus one or Carmina one um, makes reference to a, a little book. Yeah, he calls it a libe a libelli, and he talks about there's there are little um, poetic references in there to the crossing things out and and making it making it look nice for for circulation. So like that's so like you might put together a few poems, but you're not going to do like seventy. And do and, and like be like, oh, this is the collected works of Catullus and I'm going to put it out here. And like, that's not how it circulates. Like these are you, you kind of wonder if somebody after his death, like one of one of his buddies in his circle was like, you know, can I get that copy of the thing? He said, do you have the the one thing that he sent to go along with that dinner invitation that one time? I'd love to have that. Like, could I do you mind if I send a, if I send my guy over to copy that down? Mm. Like you can. kind of, And that seems to be because it's really haphazard. And so you get the sense that the the surviving works of Catullus that we have reflect not only his interests and in what he wrote, but also those of the of his audience and that they played kind of an active role in, in shaping what parts of Catullus we have access to. Yeah, no, I th and, and, that, and that's and that's kind of and that's sort of really important, like particularly if we're thinking him thinking of him in terms of this kind of intellectual like historical framing of like yeah. you can just you can just divide history into kind of posters and not posters um and, and different kind of and so, so different types of poster as well um but it is important i think to think about the, the like the mechanisms and technologies that were available and also yeah that which he was he was he was received or how he was received um as far as we know, he was a very, he was a relatively popular poet. He didn't make money out of it per se, um, but he had a kind of pretty solid friend group that um, that kind of that sort of gathered around him, sort of amongst them this bloke called Cornelius Nepos, which um, the original the original Nepo baby was uh, was old Cornelius. Um, there's another poet called uh, called Kenner who he was who he was big pals with. Um, and this was sort of what he did. Um, I don't, I don't know how he died. I don't think it's known. He died very, very young, but we sort of don't know. We sort of don't know how. And I sort of, I sort of think that if it just so happened, um, just so happened that, um, he was sort of stabbed by a jealous lover. I feel like that is something that would have made it into not just Suetonius's biography, um, you know, a, well over a century later but but also that would have made it into saint jerome because saint jerome um was ha had some esoteric interests and preoccupations of his own for all he was um for all he was a saint saintly kind of guy he had some he had some weird thoughts um d deeply he, jerome was deeply strange he was jerome, a like, really peculiar guy <laughs> with saint jerome the the like <clears throat> Basically, all of those kind of late antique, uh, high class, um, literate guys turned church fathers had some really deeply strange shit going on. It, like it Augustine, was it was it, it wasn't Saint Jerome who had the whole thing about the girl he fancied um, undressing for Christ. That's Augustine, isn't it? That was another, Augustine. another strange guy. But Saint Jerome was just as strange, if you ask me. Yeah, no, Jer Jerome had a whole thing because there were lots of like rich widows in Rome that he that he was very close with. Um, 
and you know they said the he's he and the widows were like oh this is for the love of christ but there were you can you can tell reading between the lines there were some dudes who were like you're taking advantage of these rich widows and you're probably sleeping with them and they're giving you lots of money for like monasteries like monastery has to be a euphemism right like there's the there it has to be something like that it, it was weird but but jerome and uh, jerome and later authors especially in the christian tradition would not have missed an opportunity to morally scold a dirty poet like mm. catullus exactly. right like had he had he sown and then reaped yeah like the uh, an early death as the result of his actions you can be a hundred percent certain that, that that would have come down as a defining yeah, piece absolutely. of the Catholic like, tradition yeah this is like this is what happens this is what happens when you spend half of your time either writing about or trying to investigate butts like this is what this is what will happen mm-hmm. to you this is what god we think we're not we're not sure we're not too clear on this uh maybe maybe some guy's gonna write down some kind of unified theory of uh what happened before jesus with these people's souls maybe i don't know maybe some italian guy i don't know um but but up until this point we're a bit like nah it's bad okay it's a bad thing it's a bad thing to be this to be this dirty poet and yeah so i I assume he just died of it died of an illness in the way that people often did quite young I mean, the, you have like they really missed out not having germ theory, because if he did die of something like a terrible case of pink eye from eating ass, <laughs> like you have to imagine Jerome would have been all over that. Like, so so unfortunate that were that the cause of death, they would not have germ theory to explain it and thus bring it back to his moral failings. It, as, would, it, as would, a person. it would seem he died of some vile sexual humor. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh my god or, oh my god or words to that effect now i'm i'm very i'm very aware that um that we're running close to time so what i'm gonna do is i am going to just really quickly uh read catullus 51 which is the one which is the poem that is based on that's based after sappho i'm using the uh the perseus classical library translation it's not the most recent one but i think it's quite a nice one so i'm just going to i'm just going to read i'm just going to read that out He seems to me to be equal to a god, he, if such were lawful, to surpass the gods, who, sitting across from you again and again, gazes on you and listens to you sweetly laughing, which snatches away from miserable me my every sense. For the instant I glance on you, Lesbia, nothing is left to me, but my tongue is numbed, a keen-edged flame spreads through my limbs, with sound self-caused my twin ears sing, and my eyes are enwrapped with night. Leisure, Catullus, to you is hurtful. In leisure beyond measure do you exult and pass your life. Leisure first ruined rulers and prosperous cities. Just really that good, is isn't so it? Lovely. It's just, it's just, that's just, that's just fantastic. I think it's good poetry. So, should I, should I read um, Catullus sixteen? Yeah, his invective. Let's finish. Let's finish. <laughs> let's finish. With, let's finish as we started with Catullus sixteen. Okay, so just for a lovely little contrast with that just fantastic piece of uh, of, of moving verse, here is Catullus 16, which is his probably his best known um, piece of invective. It goes, I will sodomize you and face fuck you, you bottom Aurelius and you catamite furious, you who think because my poems are sensitive that I have no shame, for it's proper for a devoted poet to be moral himself, but in no way is it necessary for his poems. In point of fact, these have wit and charm. If they are sensitive and a little shameless and can arouse an itch, and I don't mean in boys, but in those hairy old men who can't get it up, 
because you've read my countless kisses, you think less of me as a man? I'll fuck you in the ass and face fuck you. Yeah, I, as you can imagine, reading that at school was not ideal. <laughs> it was not something that I would necessarily care to repeat. And that's, yeah, that's like, this is, this is fantastic. These are, to my mind, these are the two genders of Catullus. There's his, there's his interest in the poetic tradition. There's his tenderness and love for the, for the woman who he loves but cannot have. Um, and there's his just, like, utter inventive repulsiveness. And, yeah, I think he's, I think he's one, of the, one of the greatest poets of all time. And I was so delighted to be able to discuss him with you pat this was this has brought so much joy to my day and my week getting to read back through this so many good memories and just one of the one of the shining lights of literature and a good reminder that you can yeah. just be a shithead and uh, and produce some great art and maybe people will remember you 2000 years in I the future think that's as good a place as any to, <laughs> to 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 end it it remains only for me to thank pat so much for joining me and um, where and uh, where can the listeners, if they're not familiar with your work, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me. You can find my podcast, Tides of History, on any podcast platform. I'm currently. I actually just did a couple of episodes on the very early history of Rome um, and the last kings of Rome, and and what we can know about the the distant past of the of of Rome and the foundation of the Republic. Um, so yeah, Tides of History. You can find me on Twitter, where I almost never am, uh, Patrick underscore Wyman, um, or on Instagram, Wyman underscore Patrick. Um, you can. Uh, subscribe to my Substack. You can listen to Romecast, which I do with Pat and Milo. Uh, you can listen to Masters of Our Domain, which is the Seinfeld podcast I do with Milo. Uh, you can follow our producer Devon at Devon underscore on Earth, and also listen to Kill James Bond, their show that they do with Abby Thorne and um and Alice Caldwell Kelly. That's uh, it's a great show and worth listening. Um. Hussein, you can you know where to, you know where to follow you know where to follow Hussein, who we will welcome back uh, welcome back next week, and uh, oh yeah, and this show is supported by Patreon, um, five dollars a month, and you get a bonus episode a week. There's loads of fun stuff on there. There are interviews, there are film reviews, there's TV chat and so on and so forth. Uh, we are extremely grateful to our Patreon subscribers. It allows us to keep the show ad free and also to remain editorially independent which is something we value very greatly but that is for the time being it from me so we'll see you next time have a good one bye thank you bye bye